You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel and Grain Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Today we have a triumvirate of people without whom, and the help of thousands of volunteers, we never would have completely redefined what it meant to host a Super Bowl. Mark Miles, Mayor Greg Ballard, and Mel Rain. I'll have each of you kind of talk about your roles a little bit. I think, Mayor, we know your role. You were the mayor. <laughs> but I was. I was. <laughs> the Super Bowl was in a, a source of immense pride for the city, for the state, uh, for the team, I'm sure, for the Colts, for who knows how many other organizations. Uh, quickly, so that everybody who listens to the podcast knows exactly how you were involved, please just state briefly. Mr. Miles? I ended up being the volunteer chairman of the bid effort and then the committee at the invitation of Mayor Ballard. And so uh, for what ended up being over four years, spent a fair amount of time in what was a very, very rewarding personal experience. Mel? Uh, I was the vice president of event operations and government relations. Uh, I was the fourth staff person that we added to the committee staff and was uh, on staff for almost three years. Colonel, well, I'm. It was, you know, I was a new mayor, and I wanted to. Uh, I, I known that the previous year we had not uh, gotten the bid, but it was a strong bid from what I understood, and I thought there was momentum. And these things sometimes events take a couple, three years to culminate. And I thought this might. I don't want to lose the uh, the hot iron in the fire, and so I, that's when I called uh, uh, Jim Mercy, and then uh, after that discussion, I called Mark and said, I think we need to do this. Rewinding the clock several decades, Mark, were you involved at all in what was happening with regard to the building of the Hoosier Dome? You were part of Mayor Hudnut's orbit, managed a political campaign, as we discovered in a previous podcast with you. Were you involved with that at all, the building of the dome and the decision to go ahead and do it back in the early 80s? No, I really wasn't. I think that was Dave Frick and... Uh, others. I first got asked by them after the decision, uh, after the successful discussion, which was bringing the Colts to Indianapolis to get involved. And frankly, this is 1984, if I'm, if I, my dates are right, they called and said, you're young. And Bob Ursay has a young son, Jim Ursay, and Jim's married to this lovely young lady, Meg. They don't know anybody in town. Would you meet them and show them around town and make sure they like Indianapolis? And we became fast friends and spent a great deal of time together and have had a good friendship ever since. Do you remember at all in those early years of the 80s and the 90s that the discussion of hosting a Super Bowl in Indianapolis was ever brought up or was it brought up as a joke or like, no, this could really happen? No, you know, I, I couldn't put it in, uh, in, in a year or a date, but I, the city throughout that period, thought about it. And, you know, it was, it was a, a long putt, as we say, <laughs> at that point in time. But I, I don't remember the exact occasion, but the commissioner, Pete Rosell, was in town. And sort of the same thing. I, I got asked to fly back on the plane with him, you know, sort of escorting back to New York after he'd been in town for whatever reason. And without a doubt, you know, folks were thinking that uh, two things. One, um, th this is before the Hoosier Dome. Could we get a team? someday. And secondly, then, you know, if that happened, then of course we'd want to get a Super Bowl. Mayor, you're not around. 
I was not. from IU in 78, as I recall. Is that right? right? And then joined the Marine Corps and was in the Marine Corps for... Till 2001. 20, 23 years. So we're going to skip over you just for a second. Oh, as you but should. we'll come back to you. <laughs> Mel, talk a little bit about your career and what you did before being a part of the Super Bowl. You've had a terrific career. And I want to hear just a few minutes about it. Sure. Um, well, I'm the Northern Indiana representative here today. So I grew up in South Bend and uh, went to IU Bloomington. And after I graduated, I moved to D.C. and worked for Senator Coates during his first stint as senator. Um, And then um, over the course of a couple of decades, uh, wound up working on what is now seven Republican conventions. And so at the time um, that we were awarded the bid in um, 2008, I was actually in Minneapolis working on the 2008 Republican convention. And I had Mike McDaniel in town that day and, or the day after rather, uh, because he was doing site work for the delegation. And, um, he was talking about the Super Bowl and how great it was going to be. And I had read about it, but, um, uh, hadn't thought much about it. And after the Bush Cheney administration, I, I, I was in the white house in the fall of 2008. I'd, I'd been in the white house. I went to Minnesota. I came back to the white house. Um, and, uh, in January, uh, we all ceremoniously lost our jobs and I was doing some political consulting in DC and which was fine, but I wasn't in love with it. I was ready to come home. And so I applied online for one of the jobs with, uh, probably 200 other people for this particular job. You, wait, Mel Raines, you applied online? Applied online. Um, that doesn't make me feel so and, badly uh, when I apply online. <laughs> um, and I had made contact with Allison through Jack Swarbrick, who I knew um, from some work, previous work, and he had uh, sort of alerted her to my resume, but I interviewed like everybody else and um, and wound up getting the offer in September of 2009 and moved moved out and started like October 1st I think of 09. So and that's when I I think I met Mark my first week and the mayor my first week and um you know it was a great entree back into Indianapolis back home because everyone was involved in this effort. So I mean, you know, the the governor, the governor's office, it was just a great way to reconnect immediately back into the community. Spangle make a note Mel Raines deserves her own podcast for sure. <laughs> Once I heard those that many conventions, that was a no brainer. Uh, famously, uh, then Mayor Bart Peterson in 2007 went after the Super Bowl. So let's spin it all the way forward so that we can talk about the event. Uh, he didn't get it. It was a close vote, as I recall. Maybe Mark, you know more about that particular vote, uh, but it was a, a great effort, fell a little bit short. Uh, it was spun in Indianapolis as Jerry Jones kind of being Jerry Jones and taking a Super Bowl that was supposed to be ours. Do you want to speak to the accuracy of that, Mark? Two things. One, it, you know, Mitch Daniels likes to say that's a case of be careful what you wish for because uh, largely no fault of their own. Um, the Dallas Super Bowl ended up being incredibly challenging, and, and we learned a lot from observing their their the things they had to overcome. So in the end, it worked out, I think, pretty well that they went before us. In an ice storm, they had problems with seats and tickets. Taxi and driver strikes. I mean, mm-hmm. it was snake bit, in a, in a, <laughs> and, and to I, put it in Texas I terms. I think we had pretty bad weather that weekend here as well. Oh, I yeah, think we had cold. significant snowfall, and it was cold. The other no, thing we I would have in a, we, did, we had a huge snowstorm yeah. that weekend. That's right. The other thing I would say about the, 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 that prior effort, which I was not close to, but I think we were a great beneficiary of the idea that they would um, have pledges in hand for all the required funds from the private sector uh, that would be required to host the game. And they went out and they did that. And, uh, and they also really didn't promise anything for it. They convinced the business community that it was essentially a, like a charitable contribution that wasn't charitable. And, and that was one thing we were happy to knock off as an idea. And it, it was easier to do, I think, for us the second time around, not that lining up what was initially going to be $25 million and eventually became $30 million in, in uh, private contributions is easy. But I, I think um, that was really that was a platform we could build on. And it, it was smart of them. And just think about how 
grateful we were as we went through it that we didn't have to worry about whether you know we're going to run out of money with a year to go or or whatever i think that's right but the 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 bid in 2007 by indianapolis to host the super bowl nobody neither none of you were involved that was done under peterson that was jack swarbrick i think who you mentioned before and fred glass who just retired as iu's athletic director what did you learn from that bid when it was time for us to do the one under mayor ballard well, I, I think the first you're good thing, friends with all those guys. Yeah, they did a great job. They 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 really focused in the early part of their of that effort on our community, and they spent a lot of time. I remember great presentations, video, and the like, making the case that Indianapolis should be a Super Bowl city, and that the effort deserved a broad support. And um, I, again, I think. It, that didn't seem as hard to me the the time we got involved as it might have uh, the first time around because they'd really kind of made the arguments for us already. So they got over the hurdle of whether Indianapolis deserved to be in the conversation. Yeah. But again, I, I'm, I'm not talking about so much with the NFL owners or the NFL. I'm talking about our community because, um, you, you know, absent having a, a powerful consensus locally, it'd be harder to convince the NFL. But I think um, we we could demonstrate early on that our community was ready to do it. And of course, we had a great new building coming on board. The mayor and the entire administration uh, was always there to 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 uh, make the case and to give support. And that was one thing. I guess uh, the other thing that 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 we learned from the first time around is that Jim Irsay, Bill Pullian, and Tony Dungy were powerful advocates. They had done their best the first time around, but I, I know because I saw it um, in countless meetings with individual owners, whatever we needed, um, and ultimately in the room making the presentation to the owners before they voted, those three people were very, very uh, uh, important to the effort. Bill in particular, you know, it was fun. We'd, ha- we'd go over to Colts headquarters and have these discussions. Well, where is such and such a team owner on it? You know, how does he feel about us compared to the competition? And Jimmy thought we had them all. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Jim Ursay, the owner. Jim, yeah, I guess I should say Jim Ursay. And uh, but Bill was the one who'd go back behind the, you know, like in a political caucus, go back behind and <laughs> ask again. And, <laughs> That's and, right. And listen twice. And so th- they collectively were a formidable team. And uh, along with the stadium and the mayor's support made, I think, all the difference in the bid. Now, we don't do big P politics on the Leaders and Legends podcast. We do nice lowercase politics. And as as you know, Greg Ballard used to walk into my office in the city county building and say, I need to talk to my political hack. Everyone else leave. I took it as a compliment. He meant it as an insult. But you were right. As a, I, I said that as a compliment all the time. Come on now. <laughs> You are running for mayor in the summer of 2007, clearly the underdog uh, who who pulled off the upset a few months later, colossal upset. What did you think about the city putting its resources in the administration when all these things are going on and they're chasing the Super Bowl? I mean, did you see the long view of it or was it more kind of proximate parochial uh, political help to you? No, I, I think I always saw the long view of it. I got asked during the campaign, people would come up to me and says, do you support the new stadium? Do you support uh, the Colts and that sort of thing? And I say, yes. Uh, do you expand, uh, support the expansion of the convention center? I said, yes, because we do these things together. I mean, the, the, the new stadium and the convention center and all of that works together. It works together. So I think it's good. And so I, I was actually kind of in line with, uh, with Mayor Peterson on that. So I didn't really contend against any of that at all. I just remember as communications director for the Indiana Republican Party, I wrote a quote from Murray Clark, who's good friends with everybody in the room, about praising the administration for going after the Super Bowl and falling just short, but proving that Indianapolis deserves to be in that discussion. And I had some friends of mine who were working in Republican politics who called me up and let me know that they didn't appreciate it from a political point of view. but, But as Mark said, they did a good job with it. I mean, they had a good bid. We, I think we kind of enhanced the bid. Uh, I do think I, I've always said that Jim Mercy was the unknown factor within in that room because I, I think the owners really respected 
him and what he uh, what he'd done with the team and how he tried to act as an owner and and that sort of thing. So, uh, and again, Bill Polian is a heavyweight everywhere, and Tony, every, who doesn't like Tony Dungy and wants to who doesn't respect Tony Dungy, right? So I think all of that played into it. And I, but I was actually I never used that at all in the political realm because I I was in agreement. So you're elected in November of 2007. You're elected on a Tuesday. Starting on Thursday morning, I serve as your press secretary for the transition, the Ballard transition team. It is that week that we start getting bombarded with calls about, are you going to go after a Super Bowl again? And uh, the the answer was actually given by somebody outside the transition team uh, who wasn't authorized to give those sorts of answers. And we won't mention there was a lot of that going on (laughs) (laughs) on every subject. How soon, because it's during the transition that I met Mark Miles, how soon after you were elected did you decide, or were convinced either way, that, look, we came close the first time, we can get it if we have the right organization and the right message? Uh, To be frank, I don't recall this being a big point early on for me, uh, because there were other things, just organizing the administration was important. That said, Mark and a few, quite a few others actually, gave me a presentation on the feasibility and importance of the JW Marriott, that if he wanted to go forward on things like this, uh, that would be important. And I, you remember that discussion? I don't know if you do or not, but I, I certainly remember it. And so that was, uh, uh, so that's probably when it started to get into my brain that we need to think about this. And, uh, but during the transition, I mean, you only got a month and a half and you, just finding people to work is takes a lot of time so and i think that 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 question and along with are you really going to take over the police department were the two big questions that we had to answer like are you going to follow yeah. through on that and are you going to go after the super bowl again right well again i i recall the police department in my head quite a bit i'm not sure i recall the super bowl so much as as until mark and and that group of individuals really put it in my brain that you know we we, we need to look at this i mean i was f- for it don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but i don't think anybody was expecting me in january to make the call am i is that a fair statement i don't think anybody was expecting me to do that in the first it month was i was ever as the mayor for me because because nobody which I, part I, the election the <laughs> all of it because <right? laughs> i don't think i was still i was the mayor but i was still an unknown quantity yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure you were even sworn in yet by the time. My, my recollection, we'd met once or twice, but really didn't know each other, the mayor and I, at that point. And the background for me personally was I'd been involved in sports almost accidentally for most of my life in Indianapolis in a way. And uh, my wife and I had decided when we moved back to Indianapolis at the end of 2005, we talked about what we wanted to do with our civic time. And we couldn't figure it out. We hoped we could get involved in something that affected our people and was creative. The one thing we agreed to it wouldn't be sports. So <laughs> I was I was like current job. retired, right? Yeah. I was at the Central Indiana <laughs> Corporate Partnership, and uh, my phone rings, and I I think it was in early January, and the mayor elect called and said, pretty much decided in January. I'm the mayor. Okay, I thought you were... I remember talking to you during the transition, you calling, saying... All right, well, early on, let's put it that way. I I don't know if this was December or January, but I I was taken aback, and you said you pretty much decided you you thought it made sense. What did I think? And then something close to the following. Well, when I think about going after the Super Bowl, I see your face. And I thought, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that thought. I do remember that. And uh, then the audience should know, we talked about it in, a, in our podcast with you, but you ran, for lack of a better term, the Pan Am Games in 1987 here in Indianapolis. Then you led the men's tennis tour for 15 years, roughly. Yeah. And so the admonition uh, – your wife and you gave each other for not being involved in sports has a long background. Yeah, we'd been after it a while. But anyway, um, and, and the other thing, which is probably just going to get me in trouble, but I was like three days away when he called from going to Europe to hunt Romanian boar. With Jan Tiriak? With Jan Tiriak. And I, so I think I said to you, well, I'm honored that you would think of me, and uh, I do think it's a great idea. Indianapolis should have the Super Bowl. But I, 
my first reaction was, you know, a, a little bit cautious about whether I wanted, I, I could in good faith make that kind of commitment time-wise. And I think I ended up, I said, let me, let me go to Romania and come back and give you an answer. <laughs> and then I think we, we said, look, I'll work on the bid, but I don't know that I, that I don't know what I'll be doing in four years. So I don't know if I can tell you that we, you know, if we get it, that we'll go forward and stick it out. But then by the time that happened, you know, I was hooked. And, uh, and happily so. I mean, it was a magical event. It, it really clicked. Mel was part of the best uh, staff that could ever be assembled for any kind of major event with Allison and, another, and, and a really super team. The mayor, the whole administration, uh, the governor, and, and really everything aligned so that we had all the, all the important support that we needed. And I think the design of it, which was aimed always at making it most important for us, more than it was going to be for two teams or the NFL. We wanted to do it for us as a community. Um, and and there, were, there was a lot of creativity in thinking about ways to deliver on that idea, which we could talk about. Made it all incredibly worthwhile. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. We are here today with Mark Miles, Colonel Greg Ballard, Mel Raines, and we're talking about the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 46, that was held in Indianapolis. Mel, you're not in Indiana at this time. You're at the White House, as you said earlier, correct? And so... You're looking at this from afar a little bit, the, the, the election of Greg Ballard and all that sort of, I'm, I was going to use the word turmoil, but I'll stick with it. The turmoil that was going on among the leaders of the city, which is clearly happening. What were you thinking from afar when you heard and read about all this? You know, what I, um, what I knew about, I knew more of the federal level than the local state level. I knew Mitch from... DC. So um, I knew the governor at the time, uh, Governor Daniels. But um, I I do remember thinking, uh, I think one of the most important parts of these bids, having been the event owner and receiving the bids, is how that happens. And I think one of the big differences, and I don't know substantively that the bids were super different between the 11 and 12 bid, but that the delivery in 08 were with uh, eighth graders to every team in person. Um, uh, where they flew them all over the country to hand deliver the bid. And I thought that's, you know, that's something different that I've never heard anybody do before. Usually it comes in a FedEx box and, um, you know, that's, that's all it is with a letter. Um, which, you know, we, for the all-star game bid for 21 did a similar sort of bid delivery, NBA unique, game. yeah, unique thing. Um, so, uh, but I, I had been to final four as a fan, come back and, um, gone to it in the Hoosier dome. And I knew that we, I think the crosswalks were painted as basketball hoops and the trash cans looked like basketball hoops. And I thought, you know, this is really unique. I've done events in, um, you know, big events in New York and Philadelphia and San Diego and Tampa and St. Paul, Minnesota and all these places. And um, clearly we were unique and, you know, there's a lot of pride being from the state. It was, it was unique, but, um, but honestly, until I came back in 09 and jumped right in, I didn't understand the secret sauce from the outside as a, as a guest, I knew it was a great experience, but I didn't understand how different our community is in putting this on. Having worked in these other communities, I can tell you it does not happen like this. The volunteer, every bit of it, the community involvement. I remember one of my first uh, things Allison wanted me to do was to get on top of parking lots. We needed a lot of parking spaces for the NFL. And I met with Eli Lilly and I came back from the meeting and I said to Allison, something's going on. They're going to give us all their parking lots for free. But I don't, I don't trust it. I don't trust it. There's something wrong here. And she said, no, they're our best partner. They are a great community. I said, I, something's going to, she's going to drop. There's no way this is too good to be true. And sure enough, it was, all of that and more. I mean, everyone that needed to step up and help us when we needed something, whether that was the city and the mayor's office or the governor, um, it was how can we help? 
And I've never experienced that in another city, um, which was great. Just great. No Lucas Oil Stadium, no Super Bowl. True or false statement? True. Yeah. Absolutely true. You had to have the new stadium to... And I think JW too, right? Yeah. Those were both critical. It's not the whole story, right? We could have had them and not gotten it, but um, pivotally important. And the convention center expansion. We needed every inch of that space. Does that... The, the the world of sports as it relates to Indianapolis downtown and growth and our spending priorities takes a bit of a beating from time to time. When Ryan Vaughn, who's president of the Sports Corp, was on, we talked about that a little bit. Does the hosting of the Super Bowl validate the sports slash tourism convention centric economic model that Indianapolis adopted all those years ago when... Mayor Luger decided to build Market Square Arena downtown. Mark, you were involved you know, you know, in so much of that. That's why I'm kind of looking at you. I always sort of want to reject the idea that there's a silver bullet for anything. It's all more complicated than that. In many people's minds, the answer to your question would be yes, I'm sure. that The fact that we became a Super Bowl city and crushed it is an article that I'm looking at in Greg's uh, file folder says validated a lot but you know the pacers the colts the convention center our growth as a convention um, center or a convention host um, so many things in over so long a period of time we'd be here for two days and it sounds like you may have done this already with ryan vaughn looking at the whole list of incredible i think unparalleled list of major national, international sporting events that have been here over now decades. It's, and are about to be here in the next two or three yeah. years. You know, is that gonna is that gonna be the icing on the cake? No, it's all it's always RMO needs to be to continue to build on on the achievements of the past. And that's how I always view the Super Bowl. I remember telling the sports corp as a group just just before the Super Bowl. Uh see them visit anybody, maybe both I said, this Super Bowl is not the culmination of anything. I actually use that phrase quite a bit. It's not the culmination of anything. It's just proof that what we've been doing for decades works and will continue to work. And I think that's how, we, that's how I liked to see it because I, I think what Mark said is true. It, it continues to this day, but it wasn't because of the Super Bowl. Super Bowl was just another event that we did really, really, really well, and the rest of the country who didn't know it about Indianapolis already probably now knows. And, and for decades we had done the world's biggest sporting event really really well absolutely yeah there's that one too (laughs) (laughs) go ahead i I think success begets success so when you when we're now bidding on whether it's nba all-star college football playoff or final four obviously knows well how well how we can do the event there's no question now that we can we can do these very successfully um and so you don't have to say to the NBA, doesn't say, oh, can Indianapolis do this? You hosted mm-hmm. the best Super Bowl. And I I had the privilege of working six Super Bowls after ours um, on the stadium team. And every year I would, you, you meet new people and they would say, oh, how did you get involved? You go in for a week and help out. And I would say, I worked on the Indianapolis host committee and to a person. And it didn't matter what area they worked in, but people who've worked many said, that was the best Super Bowl I've ever been to. So you've worked six Super Bowls since mm-hmm. our Super Bowl? Correct. Yeah. Podcast guest, Mel Raines. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. You were the person who me- made the presentation to the uh, to the owners, the 32 NFL owners. Is that correct? It's, it's half right. It was Gene White, who was the superintendent of public instruction, That's right. and myself. He was superintendent IPS. Yeah, I said public instruction IPS. That's all right. So you're in the room with 32 people with a combined net worth of 200 billion. Most countries. <laughs> <laughs> Take us through what I mean. That's the ultimate insider story about the Super Bowl bid. Is you were in the room making the case. I think in Hamilton they call it the room where it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, and you've negotiated with Fidel Castro and you've negotiated with Jimmy Connors and, and these people. So you're used to, and I, this is a compliment. It's meant to be a compliment. You're used to being in big rooms with big people doing important things. Now you're here. Yeah. So I can, I can respond to it with a few kind of random memories. One of them was going into the room and thinking, this is ridiculous. The, the NFL, the NFL, trucks their chairs for the owners to sit in, and for the commissioner and his staff behind the head table, these these big, beautiful, kind of overstuffed conference chairs, uh, and populates the room with this. I remember, I couldn't quite see Jerry Jones because he was shorter than the chairs <laughs> as I was looking out there, <laughs> and. And, you know, the chances of getting another Super Bowl just died yeah, in that yeah. comment. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I can't remember if there were actually like, you know, oriental rugs down. And, and maybe there weren't, but it just felt like that. It like was Henry really, VIII traveling around sort, the sort country. Of. Um, it was quite formal. Um, you know, they, 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 you're pr- instructed and practiced by the lead staff of the NFL, their event staff before. You know, you care a lot that your your present your video is going to work. That's a really bad day if you go in there and that just cramps up. And it did. Um, it worked. Yeah, mm-hmm. but mostly there was a feeling that there were great expectations. I knew Greg Ballard wanted you know expected us to get it, and and I think our community either expected us to get it or wanted us to get it. And, it, you know, so you felt a lot of pressure that not not in the presentation, but just waiting outside the room, waiting for the vote. You sleep OK the night before? Yeah, I always sleep. Yeah. Were you more worried about getting everything right or not getting something wrong? Well, a little of both. You, it, literally, you know, the idea that a very... Uh, uh, I would say complete, expensive, except we probably got it contributed in kind mm-hmm. presentation audiovisually might not work. So that's getting something wrong. You don't want that to happen. I'll tell you, I, I think I can tell you this inside story. We had uh, a very well-known um, national sports commentator narrate our, our presentation. And the night before, we were told by the NFL staff that one of the other competitive cities had the same guy endorsing their bid in their video presentation. Oh, you're kidding. So we had, this was, you competed with Phoenix and Houston. Those were the other two cities that according to my research were, remember was new Orleans in it. Uh, I think they were not because they had the next. They were going for the next year, maybe. I don't. Anyway, Mm -hmm. yes, those were. There were three cities. Yes, I'm not going to get into the exact details, but but it was eight or nine or ten at night, the night before the presentation, and we were asked to come. And it was obviously serious when you walked in the room, and our narrator had endorsed the other city in their video. (laughs) So we said, "Well, tell them to take him out of theirs." And they said, no, we feel like you had it because he's from another one of the other cities. Can you can you fi- would you be good enough to take him out of yours? So we had to re- sort of recut the thing to oh, some extent really? the night before. That was, you know, it's stuff like that. It wasn't uh, it's, 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 it, it wasn't big things. And there are I was still worried about the votes. You know, we, we were we at in, in Atlanta at, at the hotel. We were working hard to talk to every owner again and again and make sure that the others hadn't changed votes, very much like a, a political caucus process. So that's probably what I was most worried about, and uh, all came out okay. How soon do you get feedback about your presentation? I mean, did they thumbs up, you know, good job, Mark? It's, did you know any of the owners besides Ursay? Yeah, we'd gotten to know several, but... It's not a long process. You, each city gets the allotted time to make their presentation. I can't remember, to be honest, but it seems like they came out after the last one in short order. Maybe it was 30 minutes. It doesn't take very long because after each city presents, then your owner gets up and summarizes and makes sort of their pitch uh, for their team. 
So that had all happened. By the, when the last one's done, the door closes, and it didn't seem like it took very long until we heard we'd won. So how long after the presentation was, was the city alerted? The city. The, I think the, I texted Greg Ballard within 30 seconds of hearing that we'd won. And, you know, we were... And Matt totally was in the office when the text came in, and I looked at him, I said, got it. <laughs> May 20th, I showed him, 2008. I showed him the phone, and I assume it went out from there. So, And can we figure out how, with all you powerhouses in the room and everyone involved, that the above-the-fold giant picture of the We Got the Super Bowl headline features a picture of Bill Benner? <laughs> I, I told the mayor. Did we ever this get to the bottom of how that happened? I uh, I've got an exercise room at my house, and every morning when I do exercise, there there's Super Bowl memorabilia, and every day I look at that photo of Bill Benner, <laughs> giving a hard hat to her. I think of former podcast guest Bill Benner and much beloved uh, figure. So you won it. A collective effort of all this talent. You're flying home, Mark. Mel's watching it from afar. The mayor's in his office talking to uh, the late, great Matt Tully from the Indianapolis Star. And do the wheels start automatically turning? Oh, my God. What did we just catch? No. Does it, does it become yeah, something where there's so. all this energy and all this effort and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that and all the problems and what the weather's going to be like and so on and so forth? Does it, does it immediately turn from elation to planning well, I, don't, I wouldn't say so immediately i think uh, uh you just got to think your way through this right and so <laughs> mark thankfully agreed to be the chairman so uh but he just methodically put the team i, I remember one of the first questions was about allison yeah. and uh whether uh you know uh what i thought about that and i said well i think that's a really good idea <laughs> so let's, and, let's, and let's so, talk about her since she's so. not here and we've already done a podcast with Allison, and she talked extensively about the Super Bowl. It was a phenomenal podcast. She was amazing. We're bringing up Allison Malangdon, who was uh, CEO. What was her title? She, C- yeah, CEO of the Super Bowl Committee. Had all these years of experience on TV and organization. Mel, what was it like to work for her? What do you think of, of her leadership and what she meant to that committee? Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic experience. She... Um, we have very different work styles, which was was interesting. I think pretty complimentary. I mean, there is nothing that Allison won't make a three ring binder out of, and there is, <laughs> and I don't have any three ring binders. Um, so, um, in in that regard, but um, she she had a vision, and Mark had a vision, and Mark was in the office, you know, every if not every day, a couple times a week at least. So he was very involved with all of us as well. Um, but it was a pretty clear clear vision with clear direction. I think from a staff perspective, you want people who give you everything you need to be successful and trust your judgment. I certainly felt that for me and my team, um, not being micromanaged and really being given all of the, um, everything you could need to succeed and the contacts, you know, when I would call, um, either Paul Okeson or Chris Cotterell in the mayor's office or you or anyone else, we, immediately got the support that we needed for anything. So, um, but Allison um, is, you know, she's great. She's, she's a hugger. I'm not a hugger. I mean, there are lots of things I learned from Allison. I, the first, <laughs> the first, uh, does she have a three ring binder on hugging? She does. Yeah. The first week we went out to drive parking lots cause she was obsessed about parking lots. And so I drove and she talked and we were at a red light and the car in front didn't go. And I honked because I just moved back from DC and you just, you honk <laughs> when you drive. That's how we drive. And she said, you can never do that again. Stop doing that. And I said, but he's not going. And she said, do you sit here until I go? don't, don't ever honk again. So I didn't honk anymore. You know, so she taught me, uh, she taught me quite a bit. Um, but what I remember when I interviewed and I went through the whole interview process and it, I got grilled by Caroline Mays. Um, Aww. and in a great way, she's a great friend today, but she was, she was tough in the interview. And I, um, had brought some of my work from the last convention in terms of timelines and other things, and just to show kind of how I approach a project. And I think um, I think Allison and I sort of fell in work love at that moment when she saw kind of how I would approach these things. Or the first project she gave me was super scarves. So I've never knitted before. I need, you know, I I have this idea. We need eight thousand scarves, and 
I went back to my desk and I came back and I said, I need 13 scarves a day every day between now and the Super Bowl. And she said, you're in charge of this now. And I said, I don't think that's why I just did that math, but okay. Um, and we did it and we got 13,000 scarves. So, um, you know, we really aligned well and I think complemented each other pretty well. Yeah. As, as the former Marine officer in the room will tell you, uh, amateurs talk strategy, experts talk logistics. logistics. Yeah. <laughs> what was your single biggest controllable worry? And what was your single biggest, biggest uncontrollable worry? In my area, uncontrollable was the weather. I mean, we came back from Dallas and we were terrified. Um, it was, we were there for eight days and two days we couldn't leave our hotel. It, it was, I mean, it paralyzed the city and there's not much anybody can do about ice. Um, it's difficult, but certainly you don't know what you're going to get in Indiana in February um, and late January. So that was my my biggest one. And then controllable was just... Um, really transportation and parking in that that can make or break your event. If you communicate that well, if you have it available, Mark and Allison had a vision and the committee had a vision that um, this event, I remember this from the first time I think I met Mark, that he had been to other Super Bowls that really the community didn't get to participate in anything having to do with the Super Bowl and that we weren't going to ha have that Super Bowl. And so how can we make this that somebody could come downtown at a very low cost, park for a couple of dollars and experience the Super Bowl village? Maybe they can't afford an NFL experience ticket, but they can be part of the Super Bowl and be entertained and have a good time. And so delivering that, um, let's close down the uh, the north-south thoroughfares of downtown um, for two weeks, set up, you know, a circus in essence and, um, and have affordable parking and get people down here without huge delays, you know, and I, I did not come into this as a transportation expert, but we have really good ones in the city and, and ones who um, were on the mayor's staff um, who now work with me here at the Pacers, actually, Lori Miser, um, who helped lead those efforts, those planning efforts. But that was really overwhelming to layer in what the NFL needed um, and the village demands um, and try to make that run smoothly transportation. But it was, you know, it was, we had time to do it and, and got it done. So the Super Bowl village is the most, I would say the most memorable part of the Super Bowl experience for the city, simply because of cost and access and how incredibly busy it was. Whose idea was it to create the village and at what point during the, that time period did you say, wow, this is a huge success and the NFL took notice? I can do the end if you can do the beginning. Yeah. Can I, let me back up a step. Um, Here's your chance to say Rick Fusen was in charge and it was his idea. Yeah. Let me back up a step. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's a thousand moving parts, and Allison and Mel and Susan and the key staff people, in my mind, there was never any doubt that they were going to nail every detail. But I thought we needed to figure out how to talk about what we were trying to achieve at a very high level. And so we came up together with, there were four, but I can only, I think I only remember three um, goals, for lack of whatever we called them at the time. One was exceed expectations. And that allowed us to talk about everybody's expectations. So whether it was the NFL or the team owners or um, the visiting journalists or whomever, we needed to blow them away. Everything had to be meaningfully better than they expected. And there was no stakeholder group nearly as important in that to me as our community. We wanted Hoosiers to feel like they were blown away. They, they couldn't imagine what was going to happen until after they saw it. And in, in a sense, the, uh, the village was part of that. I'll come back to it. A second one was to be inclusive. And that didn't just mean diversity. It meant get everybody we could possibly reach involved to feel like they were part of it. Because we'd seen how when you can do that, it really makes all the difference to the people who, who are part of it and the people who know them and their families. And you can have a really big number before you know it, and people feel really good about that. So those two things were, you know, informed a lot of our thinking from the kids in eighth grade delivering the bids. 
that wasn't just a stunt. We wanted kids to be involved. We wanted their families to be involved. We wanted them to have an experience. Most of them had never been on an airplane before. And the village was thought about in that context. I, we'd all been to a lot of Super Bowls, and we, we used to think about, you know, the Phoenix area or the Scottsdale area or the Avondale area. And basically the same was true for North Texas and the same was true for South Florida. They are places or regions with a bunch of different jurisdictions, towns, political jurisdictions. And in order to get buy-in politically in those places, they had to just pull the event apart and stick something everywhere. Our right, idea, that's interesting. That's right. I remember hearing that before. That's right. Well, it was the hallmark of Super Bowls. You could be in these cities and not know they were going on unless you happened to. Yeah, they're all 45 minutes from each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, right? I mean, mm-hmm. in Phoenix, I remember we were all there, and you'd say, how long does it take to get to whatever it was? And the answer was 45 minutes. <laughs> but it, the effect wasn't just mileage, right? It was that it, it lacked um, that vibe. That, that it, we had achieved in the past in Indianapolis for Final Fours and, and other events. So we said from the beginning, this can't, you know, most of us aren't going to be able to go to the game. And we don't want to be voyeurs watching everybody else come in for this high roller party. We want a party for us. And so the Super Bowl village on, on uh, Georgia Street became the idea. For me, we, we hadn't really figured out any, we weren't even close to knowing what it was going to be. And uh, uh, Ratio Architects. Bill Brown. Bill Brown called me one lunch hour, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm eating a salad. He said, well, come out and walk with me. So we walked Georgia Street. I wouldn't have been able to find Georgia Street on a map before that conversation. (laughs) Well, the Georgia Street wasn't Georgia Street. It was this awful-ish. Had that name, though. Sure did. So... He laid out a vision for transforming that into a permanent place that would be a, a really iconic place for the city, for our people to have fun and, and bring people together. And that lunch hour, I called Earl Good, uh, who was in the governor's office, and said, Earl, what are you doing for lunch? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, come on over. Now the three of us are walking that, that minute. And he started thinking about how there might be some federal funds and the next thing you know, Bill had designed the physical aspects of it. Brilliant, to, I think, to connect um, uh, uh, Banker's Life with the convention center and, and, and Banker's and uh, Lucas Oil. But then we had this conversation about what's it gonna, what are we going to do? And, you know, we thought three, I don't know how many stages and food and warmers, heaters. But there was a big difference of opinion about how it would, you know, what what was the vision for what it would look like and feel like? And there were people who will remain nameless who thought, well, it's kind of a place to be seen when you're going from one place to another. And there were other people who wanted it to be a destination. And then it was very important to us that we ran it for 10 days because we thought the first weekend would be for Hoosiers and people from Indianapolis and the region. And then eventually, mm, on Thursday, they'd, the visitors would come in and we'd sort of have to yield. And so I thought it was the mo- one of the most, uh, with, with the legacy, one of the most different sort of ways to communicate what our community was all about. It wasn't for them. It was for us. And it turned out to be good. The most horrifying, nervous uh, moment for me was nights when it was going on because it became so crowded. And the traffic that you had to figure out how to negotiate was so difficult. And, you know, he's, people couldn't move, and they brought their babies down, their baby strollers. It was like, <laughs> man, we might have... It became Times Square, almost, in the Indianapolis yeah, yeah. version. There's, but it worked. We did too there's, good of a job. There's, there's, there's so much that I these two have said here that I, I feel I need to comment on. Please. Georgia Street. First of all, I always gave you all the credit for Georgia Street. Now you're giving it to Bill Brown. That wasn't my so, idea. Okay, okay. But Los Rambles, yeah. Barcelona... Was, that was a concept, right? right we need right. to have our special so, place. So that was great, obviously. And you're right. Uh, everybody came down. I was down there a lot, uh, obviously. And uh, so it was based on Los Ramos. And, and a couple of years later, when I was in Barcelona, uh, I called him from Los Ramos. I said, this looks a lot like Georgia Street. Of course, <laughs> I was in a KFC at the time. And that's another story. <laughs> Not a KFC. No, a KFC. <laughs> KFC. And, and uh, you know, you talk, you talk about the unpredictability of the weather. Uh, yeah. 
I was telling Radio Row with the previous four Super Bowls, don't worry about Indianapolis. It'll be 60 degrees during our Super Bowl. I said, don't worry about it. I was, I was telling, for, for four years, I was telling these same radio reporters the same thing. It's going to be warm. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. So I wasn't overly worried about the weather. I thought we were going to get there. So, That's but, nice uh, of you. And, yeah. and thankfully, <laughs> it got really cold the day after our Super Bowl. I mean, it got really cold. So, But it was remarkable because what, what Mark and his team and Mel and everybody, the – uh, the community aspect of it is Mark told me a long time ago when I was very, very young mayor, he said, we always make it more than the game. It's not the game. It's about, it's about the community. And he didn't say that about Super Bowl. He said, that's the way we always do it in the city. And so I think that's an important point to remember that when we approach this and what Mark and, and Mel are talking about is it was always uppermost. Uh, it was about the community, not the game. Mel, who's responsible for the zip line idea? which was a gold medal, unbelievably terrific idea. I mean, I should always give a shameless plug to my current boss, Rick Fusen, who uh, <laughs> was the chair of the committee. But I believe it was I believe it was stolen from the Olympics in Vancouver. I can tell you exactly where it came from. Lee Alleg, a local citizen who, who was an architect, had been up to the Vancouver Winter Olympics, and he called me and he said, you guys got to have a zip line. I didn't know what a zip line was. But I, I can't remember how I must have seen it or something. Yeah. And got, that's ridiculous. It's a crazy idea. But if we could do it, we've got to give people plenty to do. You can't just have bands. Yeah. And then I think we turned we, we, we threw out the idea and it survived the Yeah, we had you know, between between Rick and Mike Diltz and then we had a great uh young man from Shield Sexton who they loaned to us on our staff for Sean Hitchcock who mm-hmm. was out there twenty four hours a day, who was a construction guy who made that made that whole thing happen and learned to you know, I think he was an engineer, so he the wind and the how it would affect everything and it was the same company that set it up in Vancouver, I think, is the company that we ended up using. But um, your earlier question about the NFL, which actually is really interesting. And when they understood what we were doing, they didn't understand, in my opinion, and most of the folks that we worked with have actually are not, not with the NFL events department anymore, but they didn't understand it until about three days into the village. So we had the ribbon cutting Friday. It went for the first weekend. They're very focused on the NFL experience and the the game itself and their events. They had several events going on all weekend. Um, they had a 7 a.m. meeting or something every day Allison and I would go to. And I think it was Monday morning or Tuesday and Allison, I think, had media and I went alone and I walked in the room and I was a couple minutes late and I kind of slinked in the back and everyone stood up and started clapping and I didn't know what was happening. And I sat down quietly and they said, what you guys are doing outside is unbelievable. It had never happened before in a Super Bowl. No. And nothing they, like it. it, it and the NFL like experience really was, was what really was happening it. in the convention center where you could throw the footballs and interact and see the trophy. And they that. had all the events that they always had, right. usually spread out in a whole region. And this idea that all of a sudden a city got lit up in, in a square mile or whatever yeah. was completely foreign. And you're right. We snuck up on them. They didn't know. They really didn't until they sort of got out finally, I think, Sunday and started walking around and realized what was happening and how much and coming off of Texas, they had a rough week out there and they needed this to go well. And it did, obviously. Um, But, you know, we would sort of explain it to them. And I mean, in many ways, it was a bit of a headache for them. You know, when I would say I'm going to have to redirect traffic all around the city to do this and they would sort of be like, well, do you really have to do it? You know, could we just do it small? I mean, and we really pushed for it to be what it was. But that, to me, it was early the week of Super Bowl that they actually all understood it and embraced it and made it part of their bid spec. And now you don't go to Super Bowl without having something like that. But I think they call it a pedestrian gathering activity now or something like that, right? <laughs> you know, it was a Super Bowl village, right? I, but I honestly, I always thought the, the village concept came from the Olympics. And Allison kind of brought that from the Olympics. Because Allison had wor- has worked so many yeah. Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, you, th- yeah, I remember hearing about the Winter Olympics in Vancouver and the, the medal award area. So that was kind of a plaza kind of thing. And I think Pan Am Plaza was always contemplated to do something cool and all that. But I, don't, I think it grew to be this sort of three-block You know, I, I think the thing that was most amazing about it, because when you, when you think about it through the eyes of somebody thinking about the logistics and the security and the traffic, there's a zillion reasons not to do it. Or, as you started to say, but didn't quite finish, to think small about it. And I think 
with Rick and those of us who'd been through stuff like this before, to us it was always push the pedal. This has to, again, sort of exceed everybody's imagination and our expectations. And a big deal was because originally we had like $25 million in pledges, and it kind of kept creeping up. And then before you knew it, not before you knew it, but before the game, we knew we were going to have 2 or $3 million more that we could commit. And we poured almost all of it into the village and the the old Nordstrom space and around yeah, the village. The and and that meant mm-hmm. bands that would rock three stages for 10 days and really was the, the content we needed to, to pull it off at that kind of a scale. I think you, you mentioned it earlier, and I want to make sure that we talk about this for a few minutes because we're winding down on our time. The Legacy Project, the Bonner Center on the near east side. I'm obviously prejudiced towards the east side. And what, why was that so important to you? How did it come about as a legacy project? And now, and you know, we're several years away from it. How important was it to you as a team to make that right? Well, it it became incredibly important, but I I think it's, I can be frank about how it started. The, the league, we, this is the way, I mean, the Pan American Games, the legacy and for the sports festival, Pan American Games, was all these great venues that were built but weren't white elephants. So the Natatorium, think about what it's meant to our community all these years, and the track and field stadium and the velodrome, that was the legacy of those first couple of big events in town. So it was in the DNA of, of, of locals that you had to do something that had lasting effect. What could it be? If you start from scratch, it's a hard question to answer and it's being answered right now for the next set of uh, events that are coming. And so there's that thought. The second thing is that the league in, in the bid said you need to do, I don't, I don't even remember if they called it legacy, but you got to do something. And they called it a education town. Million dollar. They would usually go to a boys and girls club maybe and do a million dollar investment. To put a million dollars into a new boys and girls club or to improve an existing one which we thought, God bless the boys and girls clubs, but uninspiring, not, not, not what we had in mind. Wasn't exceeding expectations. It, exactly. It was exactly the expectation. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, ha- we held town hall meetings. There was, we had talk shows trying to get great ideas from, the, from our public. What could this be? And frankly, most of what we heard was some version of, we'll write our organization a check for a million dollars and we'll buy a new piece of art or, or whatever, and that'll be the legacy, which was not what we had in mind. One day, Bill Taft, on a Saturday morning, called, and he said, this legacy thing, have you thought about a neighborhood? And I had no idea what he was talking about. But in two hours, we were at the Starbucks on Meridian and Ohio Street, and he was telling me about Jenny neighborhoods. These are neighborhoods in the urban core that have created plans for themselves, for their, their own vision of what their community could become. And uh, so before you know it, we're reading, I think, six different Jenny neighborhood plans. All the while, most of my brain is going, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, what has this got to do with a Super Bowl? And can we, can we actually, we don't have any money to do this. So how, how can, what could it be? And at the, at the time of the bid, people really misunderstood. All we said is, I think we, we might have said we're going to try to make an impact in the neighborhood, but the idea was at Tech High School, football facility, on the Tech campus, and then to turn it over to Tech and the community so it was a new, much-needed uh, fitness uh, facility for, for the Near East Side. And that was pretty much it. And then and we got it, and we talked about that, and then we figured out we couldn't even do it because um, – it's too big a building. People in the neighborhood weren't sure they wanted a, a huge volume like yeah. that. Yeah. And then we also found out that University of Indianapolis was going to do one anyway without us. So, but it was not quite as big. So we said, well, well, we'll save some money. We'll work with them. We'll supersize their plan. And now we got that. But, but we don't want to abandon the idea of helping the Near East Side. So a lot of people got involved. In the end, I think more than $150 million was deployed um, I've lost track of, I think, uh, the number of homes that, that were restored, the work that went into the redevelopment of what we called the High Street, East 10th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, we built another uh, legacy center, which is a fitness um, center on Tech's campus. So, you know, I thought it was, it was uh, 
people think we, the, the NFL ran out right away and said we loved their legacy idea. They didn't even know what we were talking about when they, <laughs> you know, at the, on the, immediately following the bid. And neither did we. But it was kind of entrepreneurial. We knew we wanted to affect the neighborhood. We were focused on the Near East Side because the people there were so well organized and had so much credibility. And I will say, this was an incredibly important role that the mayor and his administration played because to do anything like that, you know, requires public safety and requires DPW and requires every part of the city county building to be supportive. And that that isn't easily accomplished. And it was because of the mayor's leadership. So we get to go ahead, sir. I was going to say, well, uh, part of that is I always said as a mayor, you may remember me saying this was that, you know, for us, for the city to help anybody and organize, you have to be organized to help a neighborhood. Essentially, you have to be organized. You have to know what you want and you have to be ready to receive the help. And the Near East Side was all of those things. Absolutely. We were trying to keep up with them. We get to the game. The Colts aren't in it. Tom Brady is in it. Now, what were your thoughts? We've got just a few minutes left of the notion of Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis as their host. I would have been okay with that. I mean, I... You clearly are not running the other, for real life. The other now. quarter, the other, no, it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> the other quarterback was a Manning, so I think most of the city was there for that reason. Uh, to be frank with you, uh, and I frankly, I was just enjoying the fact that so many people had come together to put on what was already being hailed as a great event across the nation, and that was that was my main thought. Uh, New England getting beat was great. I mean, it was fine, but I, to be frankly, to be frank, I was happier for Peyton because his brother just won the Super Bowl. You got to hang out with a lot of celebrities, be on talk shows, national TV. If I had told you in October of 2007, in about four years and a month, not only are you going to be reelected mayor of Indianapolis, but you're going to be on Jimmy Fallon because we're hosting the Super Bowl. You would have told me at that time, I would have said, who is Jimmy Fallon? (laughs) (laughs) That said, that said, uh, the Jimmy Fallon. Show, I mean, there was a lot of activity. I mean, next in our next suite over actually was Adam Sandler, where we had the game, and he came over. He was unbelievably gracious, and he made a point to come over and say, "Thank you for doing this. This is a great, great activity." Uh, so that was all. I mean, so I had a, we had a lot of that going on in the city. But Jimmy Fallon was not only supremely talented and extremely gracious. I mean, it was a lot of fun, and they went out of their way to help everybody in the city have fun with their show. They, he really did. And even at the end of it, I'm at the end of the show, I'm off to the side. Uh, uh, guy, this, this is okay. I'm, I'm liking this. This is good. He calls me back to the middle of the stage at the ending and says, thank you, mayor. Indianapolis put on a hell of a show. Right. And it was, it was, he was, he was terrific. Jimmy Fallon was terrific. In the time we have left, just real quick, final thoughts, Mel, you were in the belly of the beast every day. You probably worked, 80 hours a week? I don't even think I would have known who the team... I knew the two teams, but it didn't really matter who the two teams were, yeah. Final thoughts on what it took to put the Super Bowl together in the way that Indianapolis did? Um, You know, it was was to what Mark said earlier. It was a thousand details that all came together. And then the real secret sauce was our community in terms of... uh, you know, the the people who drove the Frank's hot sauce to the Giants tailgaters on Sunday morning because they were on the local news and said, we this is the best Super Bowl ever, but we forgot our hot sauce. You can't plan for that. You can't. None of that can happen without the the community being what the community is. So you can build the platform, but everybody collectively, I think, rose to the occasion. I mean, I, I hope to work on more events that are that successful. We certainly hope to replicate it with the next series of events that we have coming. Um, but it really was lightning in a bottle a little bit in terms of how everything came together from the weather uh, to the perception of the village and the teams and the great game. I mean, it was a great game. Every bit of it really was fantastic. Mayor? I, there's a couple of things I want to say real quick. On the village, the one night I was actually kind of scared was when the band was LMFAO or whatever it was. was They just kept doing encores and encores. And I was a mile away looking at in the public safety center looking at this. And we all kept saying, stop the encore, stop the encores, because we were afraid it was going to bust out in some way. But it never did. So the Super Bowl Village in the evening 
open beer containers, people walking back and forth over a million people in the 10 day period and really no incidents and a couple of pickpockets, right? That was amazing by itself. I'm not sure any of the city does that. And this is the, somebody never talks about this. It usually shut down at two or three, maybe four in the morning. I might've been the only person out there at 7 a.m. the next morning, pretty much every morning. And Georgia street was spotless because of David Sherman yep. and his team. Uh, it, it was, it was all that till three or four in the morning. And at 7 a.m. Georgia street was spotless every morning. People don't remember that. And hail I the, do. Hail the <laughs> IMPD do. as well. Mark, yeah. final thought? Just mostly what's been said. I think it was a tribute to our community and to people here who, and, and all that had come before it that pulled it off. You know, when when uh, we knew that people were coming from Evansville and Fort Wayne to get in the village, then I, then I began to worry. But it was it was a, a great sign that it was going to be sensationally successful. We'll end the podcast by retelling a story told by Allison Melangdon when we did our podcast with her. She left one night. Of the headquarters for the Super Bowl committee was just south of Georgia Street on South Street. And she said, well, let me just walk to the Super Bowl Village just to see what's going on. And she's walking to the Super Bowl Village. And in the distance, she sees a very tall man in the village. She keeps walking and realizes it's Bill Hudnut. As she gets closer to former Mayor Hudnut, she realizes he's crying. There's no better testament to his leadership, to the vision, to the volunteers, to the staff, to the people, to Hoosiers, in my mind, than the visual of Bill Hudnut, the man who built a stadium with no team, in tears, in the middle of the Super Bowl village that he helped make happen 30 years ago, and he didn't even know it. Thank you, Mel Raines. Thank you, Mayor Greg Ballard. Thank you, Mark Miles, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate your time, and we can't wait to have you guys on again. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Strategies.com.